first scripture reading comes from Psalm 16. I dedicate this to Phil because as a lector for the first time, I do not see him there. Song of trust and security in God. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no God apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are noble, in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen potion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do, God, do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks, Thanks be to, be to God. God. From the Gospel of John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other things, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. It's interesting to me that Jesus said, greets them by saying, peace be with you. And he does this uh, three times. And that's kind of out of character for him. He doesn't normally greet someone, peace be unto you. He actually never says that phrase. But he says it 
three times, and the only three times he ever says it is recorded in this gospel. Out of the all, all other four gospels, it's the only time we see him say this. It doesn't mean that he doesn't wish peace on people, but in this instance, he keeps saying, peace be unto you. And the question is, why is that, really? And I think the answer to that starts at a place called the Red Hot Chili Pepper in San Carlos, California. My wife, Jen, she has two sisters, and uh, they're three brothers-in-law. Uh, well, two brothers-in-law, my, and myself included. And we would go out to eat from time to time, and we enjoy adventurous eating. Uh, and the Red Hot Chili Pepper uh, is an Indian-Chinese fusion uh, place close to where my office used to be. And so we met there after work one day. And they have something on the item that was really exciting for us. Now, we had, you may have seen menus have the sort of three-pepper system where one next to the item, one means mild, two means medium, three means hot. And so we ordered a couple twos and a three. So we thought, okay, well, we can do this. We're going to order the devil's chicken, which should have been our first warning. It had contained in it the ghost pepper, which if you didn't know at that time was considered to be the hottest pepper on earth. It was graded at 1,041,417 Scoville units. You might be wondering, what in the world is a Scoville unit? There is an actual metric for judging uh, the spiciness of a pepper. For instance, a nectarine has zero, uh, a jalapeno has 10,000, and a habanero pepper has 350,000. And a reminder, the ghost pepper is over a million. It is nearly three times the spiciness of a habanero pepper. And for some reason, we are that brilliant of people that we thought this sounds really exciting and delicious. So we order this thing, and of course they bring us a waiver to fill out, each of us individually. And on the waiver it mentions things like you may experience nausea, frequent hiccups, which I thought was really funny, uh, dizziness, numbness, and of course the thing you see on so many other waivers, death. This is how we seek thrills, the three of us. Some people go bungee jumping, some go skydiving, we eat curry. This is how we want to embrace life and death situations. It comes in a little platter with chicken and I imagine some vegetables that were disintegrating under the power of the heat. And I get a bite, we each get a little piece of chicken. I get a piece about the size of your thumb and I put it in my mouth. And I have to tell you, I have never felt pain like that in my entire life. There wasn't just sweat coming out of my pores. I think sweat emitted from my hair. Like, it was as if my finger and toenails had turned into radioactive meters and rocketed out of my body like fireballs. I just wonder, has anyone ever eaten a ghost pepper that's in here in any shape or form? It's just like the 830, wise people, let me tell you, not as dumb as I am. The pain was completely indescribable. I have never felt anything like that in my entire life. The ghost pepper is uh, this incredibly powerful thing that changes the way you live, and you can really split humanity into two groups of people, the ghost pepper eaters and the non-ghost pepper eaters. <laughs> anyway, Rob didn't ask me to preach just to tell you that story. So, <laughs> at least I don't think so. But... <laughs> 
There's something uh, psychologists have to say about this. There's a term that they use. It's called the empathy gap. It's this idea that as humans, we long for connection and relationships and friendships, some of us more than others. Some of us are introverted and extroverted, but at our core, it's what has kept us going as a species even, that we have found ways to work together and find communion and community with one another. But this empathy gap teaches us something that when people have shared life experiences, it brings them closer together. And particularly when you have shared trials and shared sufferings, it brings you even closer together. My brother is, was at one time a drill sergeant in the U.S. Army, and he can tell you that many people would come under his command and they would leave, not knowing each other, but they would leave being the closest friends they ever had. And it's interesting to me because Jesus shows up in this situation with his disciples. And it's the second Sunday of Easter. You might not have known that there are multiple Sundays of Easter. That doesn't mean you have to rush and make brunch reservations or get a new egg hunt together. It doesn't mean there's a second Sunday of Easter, which means that really just within the last couple weeks, these disciples had seen some things that must have shaken them. Their leader, their rabbi, their teacher, and their friend had been arrested, mocked, ridiculed, humiliated, and tortured to death. If you're anything like me, and if they were, I would have thought, I could be next. It's a wonder they were hiding. Because you don't confront systems of injustice and corruption and not pay some cost. Any teenager who has dealt with bullying can tell you that. And yet Jesus comes into this room and his message to them continuously three times is peace be with you. And I have to think it means a little more coming from him. You know, a lot of people have tried to encourage Jen and I in our parenting when they see our children running around being crazy, little two-year-old twin boys that they are, and they say to us things like, you know, it gets better. And frankly, we don't always believe you. <laughs> because you only have one. <laughs> but I have friends, Shay and Sandy Morgan, who uh, live and work in Marin also, and they have twin four-year-old boys, and we had, they also have a, an older daughter, but we had the, the four boys together all playing together, and they were all, I was seeing how their kids are kind of wild and crazy like mine, and Sandy looks at soul, our children, and she says, looking at your kids just reminds me how far we've come. <laughs> and, and I just thought, I, I said, what's that supposed to be? <laughs> and she said, well, I'm just remembering how crazy it was when ours were your age, and I just want to tell you that it gets better. And for the first time in my life, I believed her. I believed that. There's a person who's done a lot of uh, research on this topic, and his name's Emile Bruno. I want to introduce you. He's a MIT scientist and researcher, and he spent really the, his entire little more than 10-year career studying this thing of an empathy gap, is what he calls it, that I'm kind of stealing the term. Other psychologists have other words, but that seems to be the one that most people have settled on. And early in his career, MIT being in Boston, so it wasn't a massive sample size. It's not something we can draw huge conclusions from, but it's something that has spurned a lot of research. He brought together 
as many Palestinian and Israeli people as he could find in that area. And through different brain scans and imaging, they could see the biases that people had towards each other. But then something interesting happened. He had them read stories of the other side suffering. And they found that the same part of the brain, it's something like medial percuis or something, I'm not a brain scholar, but it's this particular region of the brain would light up when they would read these stories of someone else's suffering from the other side of this conflict. And it was the same part of the brain that would light up as if they had experienced it firsthand. In other words, if I was in a terrible auto accident and I was retelling that story, a part of my brain would light up. And if you were telling me the story of your auto accident, that same part of my brain would light up. It's, it's fascinating to me how our shared suffering creates this ability to make connections and maybe open ourselves to be a little vulnerable to healing and encouragement and peace that we might not have been as open to before. It's funny, when I was in college, I, I learned this uh, when I was studying, you know, when I'm taking classes on theology and ministry and counseling and all this, and, and I had a number of people uh, I lost at that time for different reasons, but the one that really uh, affected me the most was when my father died my freshman year. And I remember people trying to encourage me and my classmates and my professors, and sometimes I would recognize that they were doing exactly what they had been taught to do, but I just didn't care. It didn't make me feel really any better. But there were a few people that had, would just kind of spend more time with me and just hang out with me and, and kind of create, as I look back on it, kind of create this solidarity with me. And what was fascinating is that many of them had experienced similar trials. They had lost someone close to them. It's funny that it's one of the major paradoxes of life that our pain and our struggle and our scars can actually lead to a great amount of encouragement and enlightenment in other people. For example, I was at the uh, walk to end Alzheimer's several years ago. My wife was working for the Alzheimer's Association at the time. And this is when it was uh, the memory walk on Treasure Island. And I remember going thinking, okay, I've been to these kind of charity events. People are here for really one of two reasons, or maybe both, sort of my cynical mind at work. You know, they're here either to fulfill their fundraising uh, needs or they're here because they want to get some exercise. But I was so amazed by just the atmosphere of healing that was on that island that day. Total strangers were sharing with each other their stories and their struggles and their heartache of having loved ones, family members and friends, and even caregivers who worked for people in nursing homes, all sharing these stories. It completely blew me away. And I was just an observer to this because people would come and ask me, or I would ask them and I would hear their story and I would just be moved and they would say, so who do you know that's uh, had Alzheimer's? I would say, actually no one, I don't know anybody. And so then the natural follow-up was, why, why are you here? And I would just say, well, you see that brilliant, beautiful woman right there? I'm here because of her. <laughs> so, I just had to embarrass her again on a Sunday. <laughs> it was such a moving event to be a part of for that reason. 
people were just so full of hope and encouragement that I've never seen when people that have dealt with this, because I've been to people's bedsides that are in Alzheimer's, I've been to people's homes where someone there suffered from the disease. It was incredible to me how that worked. What kind of, and what kind of scars do you have? Is it financial struggles that you've had to deal with in your life? Self-image, depression? Maybe some bitter or harsh breakup of loved ones in your life? Is it doubt? I mean, don't think for a minute that just because we're in a church, people don't doubt. (laughs) I like to tell people that, you know, they let me work here and I doubt all the time. But it is a true paradox that those things mean something to the rest of us who struggle with it as well. Jesus shows up in this room with his scars on full display saying, peace be unto you. And I have to imagine that means more to them than when someone who hasn't really struggled tries to encourage them as well. I would assume that other people tried to encourage the disciples, maybe Mary, maybe Lazarus, different people who knew them tried to encourage them as well. But there they were hidden in this room. Going back to Bruno, he had a very interesting observation about this, I think a very important one. He said, you know, you can show people videos and have them read stories of people who have suffered similar life trials that you have. And yeah, it lights up different, the same part of your brain waves as if it had happened to you. But that doesn't necessarily make you empathetic. It's what you do with that information is what really matters. I have to believe that this moment in Jesus and the disciples' life is recorded in the Holy Scriptures not so that we can just read it and have some sort of concern for Jesus' pain and suffering. I have to imagine that it's written there so that we can do as the disciples did and unshackle ourselves of all the doubt and pessimism and fear and anxiety that keeps us from living out the life that God calls us to live. You know, some people, we and myself included, we get sort of deceived into thinking that peace is the absence of conflict or the absence of war, and that's not really true. Peace is having the stillness and confidence in even the most dangerous or harsh situations. If I asked you if you thought Jesus was full of peace, I would imagine most of us would say yes. But this was not somebody that lived an easy life. (laughs) He had quarrels with his family. People mocked him. His friends left him. He was dealing with conflict all the time, but yet full of peace. And here his disciples are about to go out into the world facing a similar set of circumstances that he had. And his message to them is, peace be unto you. One of the things I love about John's gospel, and you might have picked it up in the last verse, is he says, he tells you why he's writing it. This is different from the other all the other writings of the Bible, really. He says, I'm writing this so that you, in so many words, so that you understand that Jesus is the Messiah, the living God, and that you would 
sort of live in understanding of that. He writes this story for us. He recollects it for us. Again, so that we, so that Jesus can bridge this sort of gap of empathy that we have in the pains and struggles in our life. And that we can live full of compassion and grace and love and self-control in the face of all injustice and pain and suffering in this world. Just in the same way that Jesus did. And by God's grace, we will. Amen.